0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network.
1: The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her? And you're obsessed with her daughter! All right, easy, Geraldo.
0: And welcome back to Horror
1: Queers. We are not done talking about the Fear Street Trilogy, and I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and no, we are not. So hopefully uh, y'all listen to our episode, or our tease of our episode on the Fear Street Trilogy, but we're coming at you today with something a bit uncommon for us. We're doing an interview everybody. Mhm. <laughs> so with us today, we have the co-writer of the Fear Street trilogy, Mr. Phil Grazia Day.
2: Hey, it's nice to meet you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming
1: on and agreeing to answer all of our probing questions i'll do my best <laughs> uh well okay so we, we are recording this Oh, uh, watch well, i mean we're recording this in between the release of the second and third films but this will come out after the third film so again we'll f- we may be going into spoilers listeners so if you have not seen all three of these films please um go watch them yeah they're available on netflix what's stopping you a <laughs> <laughs> uh, netflix subscription i don't know
0: <laughs> eh, whatever. so phil let's start with a bit of a softball question um do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the project or uh, maybe even a little bit about what your approach was to adapting this material
2: yeah i mean this was something that was sort of out there as like a an open assignment right our producers uh churn in. Um, we're looking for people to find a way to reinterpret Fear Street. And Lee and I went out for it and uh, pitched it. And that's how we got it.
0: That's interesting. So I know that people who are big fans of Fear Street, so Trace did not read the books. I read them, <laughs> but I only have kind of vague recollections. But a lot of people have connected this particularly to the Fear Street saga. So the trilogy of mm-hmm. books about Sarah Fear in the 1600s and so on. But this isn't a direct adaptation. So can you explain why you and Lee decided to go with a sort of adaptation, but not quite? And maybe how you chose to adapt some of the other books in the Fear Street canon?
2: For sure. Yeah. So Lee and I actually were a little bit like you guys, frankly, like Lee read the books when she was younger. Um, but I actually didn't. I was like terrified to pick them up because oh. you, you know, like, not because I thought they were scary, but because, you know, you look at the covers and you can see that they're like marketed principally to teen girls. Right. Mm-hmm, and right. as like a young closeted gay guy, I was like, I felt like if I was like reading these in the wrong place, someone was going to clock me and it would be like the end of my life the wow, way I was living it at that moment. That, so uh, yeah,
1: because it's the early 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah
2: um so like this was for me having the chance to go back and revisit this series without that anxiety was like really on a personal level like a way to sort of make amends with that like you know scared little kid in the bookstore (laughs) um that was the real roundabout way of getting into answering this question um what was the question (laughs) oh yeah the saga
1: yeah, because the movies are not, like, a straight adaptation of any of the books. No. I, I know that much. And, you know, like you – so I, I I I read Goosebumps. Like, I read Stein growing up. But I, like, I skipped Fear Street and went straight from Goosebumps to Stephen King. So I just mm-hmm. missed that gap. Mm-hmm. But watching this, you know, there's a bunch of Easter eggs in here for fans, and I unfortunately did not catch them because I didn't know what they were. (laughs) So how did you go about choosing to kind of make original material as opposed to just adapting, I don't know, like like a series or like a storyline from the books?
2: Yeah, I mean, there was so much that went into the decision making process about how we ultimately decided to present this trilogy. Um, But initially, yeah, I mean, like this, there are so many of these books, like Mm -hmm. it would just be impossible to like you've got to wade through so much material, right? And there's like something in there for everyone on some level, but we figured we're looking at doing like the the first big Fear Street adaptation. We were going to zero in on like sort of the most iconic installments in the franchise, right? Things like the Cheerleader series, yes. <laughs> the Wrong Number, which is where Dina's character's name comes from, which was like the first big bestseller for Fear Street. And they're really like... That, that Fear Street saga that you mentioned are really like the only books that actually deal with sort of the origins of Fear Street, right? Mm-hmm, so it, sort of right. it felt like necessary to us to sort of stay true to the spirit of the books to find a way to reinterpret the at least parts of the mythology that happens within that trilogy.
0: Right. And it does make sense because you're setting up the foundation of what you hope may become future installments of a franchise.
2: I mean, you know, from your mouth.
1: well and so because you and lee both both wrote honeymoon together a movie that i Mm -hmm. love i think it's a fantastic film oh thank you thank you thank you oh my god you're welcome (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's been a while so were y'all like i mean as you're kind of scoping out products and stuff did y'all did this kind of fall in your lap or did you find out it was happening and you were like oh we got to do this
2: you know, we got really lucky. We had a great reception to Honeymoon and we started to walk right into studio projects after that. I mean, not like they weren't just handed to us, but we were <laughs> like, we could, we had the opportunity to go pitch for things. Right. And we landed a couple of those projects. So I know it's been a long time since Honeymoon and it's actually like difficult for me to keep track of this too, frankly. But we, <laughs> Honeymoon came out in 2014. We started working on the Fear Street books or on the Fear Street trilogy in 2017. So like it's not that huge of a gap. There were I think two other two other projects that we worked on in between that you know never ended up being produced. But uh yeah, so it's it seems like it's been a long time, but actually most of that time we've been doing this. <laughs>
0: So obviously it was delayed because of COVID and it Mm -hmm. would have come out last summer in 2020 and it would have gone theatrical. Can you talk a little bit about what the process was like shifting from like, oh, our our film trilogy is going to be coming out once a month in the summer of 2020 to, oh, our film trilogy is going to be coming out a week apart on (laughs) Netflix in the summer of 2021?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm honestly not completely sure about what all the specifics of the the release dates and the the covid implications were for us we were done shooting before covid happened mm-hmm. okay like uh, i'm i'm not sure they may have been you know theatrically summer 2021 anyway that was a that was a weird it, it was a weird shift. Um, I think ultimately, like Netflix is such a great home for these. Like, I, I don't know, I can't think of like a more perfectly designed thing for your like horror sleepover. You know, to have access mm-hmm. to all these things at once. So yeah,
1: we, we recorded our, our our like episode review of the sh- of of the trilogy last night. And, you know, we were talking. And it's like it 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 almost seems faded because while it would have been great to see these films, you know, I mean, if the release plan had been, you know, like one a month for a summer, um, mm-hmm. in theaters. That's awesome, but you're also, like, you know, betting that, you know, the box office, and I almost think that this week-to-week Netflix deal, it's getting it in front of more people, but it's also, like, I feel like it's made more of a community viewing experience for everyone. Like, it's, Mm -hmm. like, instead of appointment television, it's appointment movie viewing.
2: Yeah, you know, like, there's, I I know a lot of people have, like, anxiety about, like, not being able to see them in a crowded theater with, Mm -hmm. you know, at least a couple people who have maybe too strong of reactions to things, because that's always Mm -hmm. fun, but, uh, but, yeah, I think you're absolutely right i mean the the response to these around the world simultaneously through Netflix's release model <laughs> has been like just insane it's really overwhelming.
0: So. So speaking of the response, obviously we've been seeing R.L. Stein pitching in and talking about how Mm -hmm. proud he is. And, you know, it's in his own best interest to say like, yes, these films also go read all of the books and give me some royalties and so on. But, um, can you talk at all about how, or if he was involved or, uh, was he around to consult
2: or to pick his brain on things? Um, Lee definitely spoke with, uh, people associated with the property for R.L. Stein. I, I'm, I'm forgetting when that conversation really started. Yeah. But he's been like, he's been really supportive of it. I think you've probably seen in like the statements that he's made about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, they've been very much to the effect of like fear street is for everybody, which, you know, for us coming in and doing this sort of like queer reinterpretation of a franchise that doesn't have any queer people in it. That's mm-hmm. a, that's a big deal. I think mean, it's it's really great that that's his perspective on it. So.
1: <laughs> I have one more softball question before we get into the queer stuff because obviously like that's a big deal with this trilogy. One thing I really appreciate about so these are hard R rated movies. You know we've got sex, mm-hmm. we've got gore, we've got violence, and essentially it's you know it's an adaptation of a YA property and. I don't know if you saw the Goosebumps movie or read those books as a kid at all, but, like, the Goosebumps adaptation took a different route, where it's like, okay, we're gonna, like, it's a kid's book, we're still gonna make it for kids, and we're not really gonna make it scary. What this trilogy does is they kind of, at least how I felt, it felt like it was geared more towards people that did read the books in the 90s, as opposed to, like, just solely teenagers today. And was that something y'all thought about when y'all were writing these?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we wanted that hard R, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think like, to a certain extent, we figured we'd probably get it no matter what, because we were doing a queer story. Frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, that's a lot of the fun of what you see on screen, too, is that yeah. uh, a little bit of splatter in there.
1: Just a little. Yeah, <laughs> Just a, yeah. just a little bit of gore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Lee is very brutal. i I, I think as soon as that bread slicer entered the picture in the first film it's like oh we're doing this
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs) this is not
1: your mother's fear street okay so let's dig
0: into these queer characters who are at the heart of the storyline so we've read some of the quotes from lee about centering the films around the experience of others and you know the representation from people of color obviously as a queer horror podcast we're most interested in the decision to put two lesbian characters Mm -hmm. front and center and really Mm -hmm. ground the entire arc of the three films like the first and the the final installment most specifically but um Can you let us know, you know, were the leads always going to be queer, were they always going to be women, was the decision to have them involved intricately in the 1666 and the sort of origin of all of this, was that always part of the plan?
1: It was always part of the plan for us. No, because um. no, I, I mean, my thing is like, okay, was there pushback from any like executives that was like, we can't like do a major horror release with two lesbians as the protagonist?
2: You know what? We did not have that, which that was is incredible. Yeah. I mean, for me and Lee, you know, I think like uh, when you're working on studio projects in general, that you end up making the best material when you're able to turn that project into something that's important to you. And, uh... You know, we sort of got the best of both worlds for me and Leon this. Like, we knew we were going to center them on female characters because because of the books, frankly, right? Right. And it was clear to us early on that our producers were amenable to doing a queer story, and we just kind of, you know, said... (laughs) thank (laughs) you and moved ahead with it (laughs) (laughs) excellent
0: we'll see you in a while
2: yeah you don't get a lot of chances to do that you know like there's still there we're we're lucky to be working in a period where there are at least like some studios and producers who think it's cool to make queer content but uh you know they're still sort of few and far between it can still frequently be an uphill battle and we did not confront any of that with our producers.
1: Well, it's interesting because I, mean, I, I know you're probably not privy to this because you're not on the marketing team for the films, but like it was announced a couple years ago that the that, that leads would be lesbians. Like, I think it made it into like an article like in 2019 or maybe 2020, but it wasn't really in any of the uh, like the trailers for the film. And we had people, uh, listeners of us that reached out to us and they were like, oh, like Fear Street's in the LGBTQ category on Netflix. Is this another mistake like the Babadook? And, <laughs> and we're like, no, actually, it, it is very good. Queer, but I, I, I was, I found it interesting that that, that wasn't promoted. But I'm like, well, I, I guess, like, what are you gonna do? Like, like, are you really just trying to sell the concept here, as opposed to like the actual plot machinations of it.
2: Uh huh. I mean, I think that there's a, you know, obviously the this queer love story is like the emotional core right. of this trilogy. Um, there are some shots, you know, it might not be made like, you know perfectly explicit in the trailer but uh you certainly see dina and sam together in there from the beginning mm-hmm. yeah i don't know what all the marketing decisions were that went into this you know like i yeah, i know that there are places around the world where like explicitly queer content is just illegal period mm-hmm. but yep. i don't think anyone i don't i it to me it never felt like anyone on the marketing team was trying to downplay that aspect of things mm-hmm. at all you know and we've definitely very much been promoting it in terms of
1: publicity as a queer story i mean it it is a queer story (laughs) yeah it is undeniably a queer story (laughs) well and i think that you know taking something that again like like a source material that is not explicitly queer and turning it queer like that is something that is even rarer nowadays Mm -hmm. forever period yeah
2: i wish i had more to say to that specifically
0: i mean hopefully it just means that you're breaking some new ground and the success and the willingness of audiences to watch and engage with the content means that people are going to realize oh it's not that big of a deal to have queer characters and really queer protagonists so we don't need to be afraid of it anymore
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's also, you know, a lot of the times when we do get queer representation in horror movies or in movies, period, there are these, like, very insular stories that are not just explicitly queer, but also, like, exclusively queer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And these we very much were thinking about from the beginning as, like, bigger mainstream movies that center around queer characters. Um yeah. I think that's really as important as it is to have these like specifically exclusively queer stories out there too. I do think it's really important that mainstream audiences y- you know like for <sighs> I don't know man like for so much (laughs) of my life I've had to watch so many shows about you know queer or about straight romances right and find some sort of way to identify I was thinking about this actually a few years ago before Lee got married she was doing this thing with the website for her wedding where like (laughs) they were using all these pictures from like iconic movie romances and weddings right like Mm -hmm. wedding scenes from the godfather or whatever else and i was just like you know like i could never do this what the fuck am i gonna put up there?
0: (laughs) i have one picture i can draw from
2: (laughs) like philadelphia brokeback mountain like that's awesome and they're all sad really awesome (laughs) wedding right but I, I mean, the point of this is just to say that, like, I have faith that straight audiences can watch these and identify with the universal elements of this love story in the same way that we as queer people have done for our whole lives, basically.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> people that aren't queer, I'm sorry, not all people that aren't queer, but um, people who are assholes that aren't queer, <laughs> D- don't let's take that into account. They're just like, oh, whatever. Like, who- why does representation matter? And something like what you just said is very much why.
2: Yeah. You know, there's like, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I'll stop.
2: I was going to say something about some of the online reaction to the first movie, but I'm just gonna
1: well pretend I didn't read it. <laughs> no, that, that's a good segue though, because so we, we've been watching the discourse. You know, we got to watch the movies in advance, so like as they've been released, we're like, cool, let's see what people are saying. There has been some discourse around, or criticism even, of the character of Dina. We disagree with this, and people will have heard this on our episode already if they've listened to it, but some people find her unlikable, or that she's too selfish, and that she doesn't care about her friends. And before I let you answer where I came from, and I think Joe as well, we discussed this yesterday, is like, it's an out lesbian in 1994. Like, I feel like her anger and her like like extreme need to save her girlfriend makes sense in that context but, and so we're trying to figure out where these we- Where this opinion is coming from people that when they're like, oh, Dina just is unlikable.
2: Honestly, I have no idea. I think she's a likable character. I think Keanu's performance of her is so Mm -hmm. likable.
1: Oh, she's great.
2: This idea that I don't know, I I have seen some things that have talked about how they think she's like selfish, right? I think most of those are are talking like later on in the movie Mm -hmm. about like the the way that she privileges Sam above her friends at certain times i mean you know people are gonna see these character dynamics the way they're gonna see them my problem is when people take issue with stuff in the beginning of the movie where they're like she's just like jealous and blah it's like are you like what what the fuck are you watching like (laughs) she's not jealous of sam's new life she's fucking miserable and she's watching this person that she loves like live a lie like Mm -hmm. there's nothing selfish about wanting to confront that person with the decisions that they're making, you know? And she's not doing anything, like, forcible to, like, get Sam back. I mean, she's done. She's making the break, you know? She's also a
0: teenager. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, like, she she doesn't always make the best decisions, but you can absolutely see that she's wearing her heart on her sleeve. She feels betrayed by her ex to a certain degree, but she also, mm-hmm. you know, you're trying to live a life where your romantic possibilities are probably not great and you felt a connection with somebody and now that's over and you have to figure out a way to move forward. Like, I can't think of a more universal also teenage specific problem to be addressing mm-hmm. in this film.
2: Yeah, that's also the sort of thing too where like specifically when you're talking about queer stories and really like if you're talking about 94 like mm-hmm. I mean when I was in high school in 94 and I didn't know a single person who nope. was out despite the fact that you know subsequently many of us have come out. Yeah, right. um, fuckers. <laughs> so like there's much less like you, you know the the sense of your like your options are also like so much more limited so if you Mm -hmm. do find this like one glimmer of hope in the sort of like you know endless vast dark sea of desperation (laughs) the dark sea of heterosexuality (laughs) right losing that it's like even bigger than it would be say if you could like you know literally date anyone who was around you
1: well, and and i was I was fortunate and or privileged enough. like i I came out when I was sixteen, which would have been about two thousand and five. But I even remember like when my first boyfriend and I broke up, it was like, oh, I'm never going to find anyone else because I don't know any other queer people. Mm-hmm. And so th- I, I was I was kind of putting that on to Dina because I was like, I mean, I get it. I get where she's coming from. And I do feel like that a lot of people that aren't being more empathetic with her, I think, mm-hmm. just haven't lived that experience.
2: Yeah, it's it's so hard to say. And, you know, like those reactions are also like really in the minority in terms of the way people are responding to these characters and these stories. Like most people are very excited to see what happens with Dina and Sam, and they're mm-hmm. like you know ready to send threats if like uh if they something don't end they up don't together like happens, <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> so thinking about other characters and particularly in this first film. I have seen some people identify Simon as either queer or kind of like queer coded. And I was wondering if there's any of that kind of embedded in your screenplay, or if you feel like that's something that the actor, uh, Fred Hetchinger, whether that's
2: something that the actor is bringing out. Uh, Simon is definitely a coded character. (laughs) Oh (laughs) Yes! Yeah, that's so interesting, too, because some people have been like, they never do anything with the unrealized romance between Kate and Simon. And I'm like, what? What? Oh. You know, honestly, like, I don't really like talking about the coding stuff so much Mm because I, like, that's, I...
0: If you pick up on it, you do. And if you don't, you don't.
2: Yeah, and I'm happy for audiences to, like, see parts of themselves in things, even if they're things that we did not intend, you know? Right. Like, I'm not going to be like the creator who's up here telling you, no, this is not what you're saying it is. No, how dare you see yourself? (laughs) God, thank you.
0: Thank you. We have had so many discussions where people are like, you can't read this character as queer because Alfred Hitchcock didn't intend for it to be this way. And it's like, (laughs) fuck that shit.
1: I mean, what we do every week, we look for a horror film. It could have explicit queer content or not. But yeah, like recently, if it's a classic, oh my God, people will come out with pitchforks and it's like. We did Creature from the Black Lagoon, and we read the creature as queer, and people like were so Uh mad—not our listeners, people that like don't listen to us that just saw our articles on it. We're so mad. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's like what? Yeah, it's so hard when when you're dealing with this. You know, like the for the vast like most of the history of western civilization like our entire like our survival as queer people has depended on there being like no overt trace of who Mm -hmm. we are and that goes for like our our everyday lives as well as Mm -hmm. uh our representations in culture so like it's so hard when you have these like i mean there's so much queer coding especially through horror from the very beginning and when these people come out against it these like gatekeepers who mm-hmm. act like somehow the implication that like uh uh i don't know like you get this when people talk about mary shelley being a bisexual right mm-hmm. where they're like oh you can't say that and well it's like well she literally says it herself she's like i got a little talsy mousey with the ladies after percy died right <laughs> like so well you can't call her a bisexual because they didn't have that word then right and i'm always oh, like God. okay so like if she'd been like born 25 years earlier would you also insist that she breathed the ether and not oxygen because it wasn't discovered like, like, I like mean, come on.
1: okay but even yeah. if there's not a name for it I mean like looking like in like Spartan times there's men fucking there every, everywhere everywhere over there so like okay did, did is it not gay because it's men fucking each other I mean it's everywhere it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Basically, like, if you were, if you, if we were to limit ourselves to identifying queerness through the history of civilization, we would basically be looking at, like, Uh, a long list of criminal records because that's the basically the only place until pretty recently (laughs) where like queerness has been openly discussed Mm -hmm. right like gossip and criminal records which is i don't know if you've ever read what lewis crompton's homosexuality and civilization is basically like this chronology of like all the ways that queer people have been punished from, like, oh, yeah. the beginning of recorded Civilization Report. It sounds history. like a very happy read. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's actually pretty fantastic. Too. Oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I think it's a it's a testament to why something like the Fear Street Trilogy then becomes quietly revolutionary, because it's not just that we've got queer-coded characters, it's not just that we've got lesbian representation, it's that these characters are existing, the story is about more than just their sexual orientation, but also... It's a mainstream, very front and center mm-hmm. trilogy, right? Like, mm-hmm. I love the idea that if people want to engage with these texts, they have to reconcile their reaction or their relationship to queerness like you can't yes. get away from it and watch the
1: films well because mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of a mainstream like studio horror release like I mean you know we've had Blumhouse films you know we have that random gay side character who's on screen for maybe two minutes and happy death day mm-hmm. we have um, the, the the gay kid and truth or dare who is like worried about telling his dad he's gay but then he gets murdered so it's like okay yeah. but like we haven't had classic I know. <laughs> spoiler alert for truth or dare everybody <laughs> but like, we haven't had one where it's like oh yeah here we go like here's your, your two main characters bam
2: yeah mm-hmm. i mean this was this obviously was this was a, a big deal for me in in this trilogy is that, like basically for like all of queer horror you you really have like to, aside from those like secondary characters who sometimes show up and are like more recently at least overtly queer mm-hmm. for the most part you have either like tragic victims of society or monsters yeah period right and we didn't do that in these movies i mean we do in a certain sense, eventually <laughs> we have a, a queer kind of monster, but like, I, it's not something about that character's queerness that makes them a monster intrinsically, right, which is mm-hmm. a big deal. This is like, you know, if we use queer representation in horror to show the way that society sees queer people as monstrous. Right. Like there there can be like a certain amount of power in that for sure of saying like, well, I don't care if you see me as a monster. Why would I ever want to be like you anyway? Right. Mm -hmm. Like you think about something like the end of Todd Haynes Poison. Right. And that like declaration of pride after he's basically just shown you like how to read queer subtext through the juxtaposition (laughs) of that story (laughs) with the other two. But on the other hand, it's like also we can look at ourselves through through our own eyes in horror movies you know we don't have to see ourselves as monsters we don't have to embrace the way that society sees us i don't think those are the kinds of stories that uh queer kids need these well,
1: days th- that's actually i mean even we can even segue then into the third film because mm-hmm. I-, I will confess i i was worried starting the third film i was like oh my god like sarah fear is gonna be a lesbian she's gonna be an-, an angry lesbian who curses the town because of it and i was pleasantly surprised and a little bit relieved that that wasn't the case
2: yeah i think you know this is also like another way of talking about the sort of like mainstream nature of these movies right like we conceived of this trilogy as like a a, i'm gonna get there eventually i promise (laughs) (laughs) we conceived of these movies in general as a sort of allegory of systemic oppression right like that was sort of at the heart of it but ultimately you see that like the the big bad the big villainy here like it's not homophobia per se it's basically Mm -hmm. a system that takes advantage of that homophobia yes yeah right
0: solomon Um, is actively i love that we end up almost with two different villains right so we've got caleb who is embarrassed by the girls and therefore mm -hmm. weaponizes his like emasculated fragile masculinity and then we've got solomon who just kind of says, like, oh, well, I just want power. I don't think he mm-hmm. even intends for Sarah and Hannah to be the scapegoats, but it just happens
2: to go down that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he certainly takes advantage of the fact that they've already been sort of persecuted for mm-hmm. their love. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so many villains. <laughs> <laughs> so many male villains. So many white male
0: villains. Hmm. Um, I know, I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I No, I'm sorry. I just I feel like I feel like I shouldn't have said anything because I do think Phil, that you were actually about to
2: like go further and and elaborate or something so i I'm also really hesitant like i I don't like saying much more than the sort of broad like allegory of systemic oppression
0: right, and you want people to make up their own their own minds and take their own readings away. I mean, I do think that this is really fascinating that you produce this really before a lot of the Black Lives Matters and the social justice movements that we saw during the middle part of the pandemic last year. And yet, it's easy to walk away from this trilogy being like, oh, Beer Street Trilogy said ACAB.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it's certainly before the resurgence of Black Lives Matter in like, white consciousness in America after mm-hmm. George Floyd. But it's not before Black Lives Matter by any means, right? Like we mm-hmm. were talking Trayvon Martin. Yeah, at that point. So we're, we're certainly well after that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i've so i I'll always i'm like I, like i said i'm just so hesitant to like be specific about no it. that's I, okay all i want is for like blue lives matter and like a
1: million moms to cancel us you know oh like, my god that would make mind.
2: me so happy well, <laughs> that, that, that's the married
1: with children approach right you get like some groups to come after you it's just like that mom who like you know like went to the news stations about married with children and then it turned it into like a blockbuster tv show
2: yeah i think whenever you're dealing with the like those the, these ideas when you're dealing with these ideas of sort of like systemic social rot or oppression obviously like our characters are marginalized for many different reasons right mm-hmm. you know whether you're talking about sexuality or gender or race or i mean there are a few more in there too um, <laughs> like i think what was important to us was to make sure that they weren't punished for the right. things that made them different right also really to make sure that their experience as outsiders is specifically why they're able to get through this situation that they find themselves in.
1: But I think that's why I found the, the third film so surprising and why I liked it so much is because, again, I walked in, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to be a lesbian. They're going to kill her because she's a lesbian. And while that's kind of the case, it's more so they're doing this because it's like, oh, you're bringing pestilence and plague upon our land. The lesbian thing is just kind of like, extra, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's part of it. It's right. part of
2: it. I do think it's essential to it. You know, like, I've also had oh, some yeah. people
1: say things like, oh, we,
2: but like you didn't have to make this story about a queer couple. You didn't it. and it's like, Oh, God, no. It's like, well, I guess I didn't have to, sure, but it would have been, like, a completely different story. Also. Yeah, I also <laughs>
0: didn't have to make her biracial. Oh, I also didn't have to make her a
1: woman. I guess I could have just made this <laughs> story about a white man. Hmm. <laughs> what, what does any creator have to do you know god yeah
2: yeah i think that the. i mean but you know honestly like i i talk about that kind of comment like it's a bad comment but frankly like it's sort of a, a great compliment because it's like you know they are they're the perfect example of like they see through all of those specific details of the character to find that like universal core of it that they can relate to and they see that and they're like oh we can yeah, these weren't, like, aggressive, like, you shouldn't have or you yeah. have to. These are, like, this could be a story about anyone, sort of, right. which is great for people to be able to see, to, to for, like, a broad audience to be able to relate to it. Mm-hmm. That's amazing and important.
0: Right. They're seeing the universality in characters where they might have said, like, oh, okay, they didn't have to be lesbian, and yet I can yeah. still see myself in them, even though I may not identify that way.
2: I've got to tell you, though, one thing that they certainly wouldn't have done if they weren't Queer, is mm. that like i wouldn't be getting like the kinds of messages i'm getting from kids on social media <sighs> yep. oh. and like kids in my life who were like i've never felt like seen myself yes. on screen before and like i mean like kids who are like coming out after watching movie one which is, that like, is so I mean, it amazing just, like i'm like tearing up like thinking about it frankly because yes. i'm just like this is what we did like we wanted to make like Like, we've talked a little bit about how, like, you've never seen characters like this on screen before in a horror movie. Like, you know, we we didn't, like, do this because we were, like, trying to do something that had never been done. We just were trying to make the kinds of stories we want to see the kinds of things I didn't have when Mm -hmm. I was a
0: kid.
2: Right? And it just turns out no one has done it in 100 years (laughs) of horror movies. And it's a it's a big it's a big deal in that sense because of this kind of response from kids who are seeing themselves on screen in like what's like some sort of like positive and hopeful representation for queer people which is yeah. I know that sounds hokey as shit, and also
1: like amid all this blood and gore, it's like no. Oh, oh, I mean, awesome. <laughs> but, Hey, like, it is. you're allowed to be proud of that. I, I, <laughs> I think that's awesome, and it's it's sweet and touching. Like, yes, own that shit.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a it's a big deal to me. It's really important
2: to me, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy that like you know people are getting something out of it.
0: And if nothing else, that that's one of those things where you say, I don't care if there are certain people who don't like this aspect of it. They Are just it, like their opinions don't matter in the face of somebody saying, "Hey, you made me feel seen for the first time. Oh, I felt comfortable coming out for the first time. I felt hope for the first Mm -hmm. time. Like that just eradicates all of the naysayers."
2: Yeah, I mean, it's like a. There's like a. You know, there's like this. If you look at like the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, which I know I'm not supposed to, (laughs) (laughs) like, like. I can't help it. So, and also, like, I only look at the negative reviews. No! <laughs> because i know what's good about the movies i'm interested in seeing what it is that people don't like and it's really telling like if you look at rotten tomatoes and like the user reviews there it's like it's like all the incels and homophobes and Mm -hmm. racists went on there and gave it these like half star reviews that are like wow they're trying to cram this lgbt stuff down our throats (laughs) it could have been a good movie but it's ruined by Progressive politics and what, and you're just like, oh Jesus, who cares? I, it, <laughs> it,
1: you know, I, I I find myself always getting so frustrated by those things. But I know it's not worth it, right? Like, what good is it going to do me to get so mad about some asshole saying that we're forcing these 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 views down their throats? And it's like, yeah, I, please, like, I mean, come please. on. How, how, you said at the beginning, how many times have you seen straight relationships on screen? You mm-hmm. know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just completely ridiculous. It's
2: literally, like we said, something that's never been done (laughs) in a horror movie, in a mainstream horror movie before. And this is like cramming it down your throat. Like, come on.
0: And, and honestly, the use of the phrase cramming it down my throat, it's like, uh-huh. maybe you need to do some self-reflection <laughs> on your
1: choice of words. Well, and, and, but even adding on to that, like, it's not, the, the movie doesn't, the movies don't do anything to cram it down your throat. There's no, like, monologue about, like, I don't know, like, there's not, like... <sighs> I guess if you're including queer it's inherently political, I guess. But, like, <laughs> there's nothing in here that's preachy. It's just they are characters that are. That's all mm-hmm. it is.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, it's, like, an essential part of the story, and their love is, like, the driving force through the trilogy. But, yeah, you're right. It's not, I mean, we didn't want to make homophobia or, like, the, <laughs> their queerness the thing that they were constantly, like, fighting right. against, Yeah. you know?
0: And it's honestly, it feels so refreshing as a result.
2: Yeah. And like, you know, those reviews, like, it's not like I read them and get upset. I read them and feel vindicated,
0: you know? Yeah. I made the right decision. Like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> like. I think it just proves we need more texts like this because clearly these people still think that there's something inherently not just political, like you said, Trace, mm-hmm. but also they're like, oh, they haven't been confronted with this enough to realize this is just life. Like, black mm-hmm. people exist queer people exist like y- you have to be able to address the fact that we are in your lives that we are sharing the world with you and that means that we need a proliferation of media that does this and just says hey this shit is fucking normalized you need to change mm-hmm.
2: yeah and i think you know I, while while we're talking about the, those aspects too i think it's also important to point out that because we focused on queer stories and Stories about relationships between women through all three films, right? There's, like, you know, like homophobia is like misogyny's favorite child. Yeah, like right. you, it's really difficult to like separate those two things. And so the way that movie two sort of gets into that is that, mm-hmm. of course, there are like romances or whatever else, but they're also like they're very secondary to the relationships between Alice and Cindy, mm-hmm. right? Or yep. Cindy and Ziggy, like that's where the real emotional core is, and the Absolutely. other stuff is just sort of like the dressing. So that made more sense to me when we were with what we were talking about before. <laughs> now I'm just like, what am I ta- why am I talking about this? <laughs> How stuff? do we get here? <laughs> why am I talking about this? Stuff? I suppose, in part, I just like really never want to talk about homophobia without also talking about misogyny. Yeah, that's, I guess that's really the <laughs> that that's
0: a quote right there. That's a good quote. <laughs> Well, and it is interesting. Okay, so I wonder if maybe we can kind of segue towards like what comes next for you. But I am interested, like, do you plan to involve queer men or like more specifically out queer men and queer male relationships in future projects and sort of with the same kind of galvanizing
2: aim? Uh, Yes, I do. Okay. This is so... I mean, let's talk about this sort of, like, divorced from mm-hmm. all of, like, the uh, the current discussion around Fear Street for a second. Like, okay. I think that it is still really difficult to get people to highlight gay male characters in a positive light on screen. That is still <sighs> a big hurdle because there's, mm-hmm. like, this... Somehow this sort of, like, inherent, like, you know, people see two guys kissing, they think it's disgusting, you know? Yep. That's a... I mean, obviously yeah i want to tell positive stories about gay men too and uh i think that there is still a long way to go in the industry before that becomes something that's more like the norm you know like even when you look at the like we have now not in horror but like in tv and film in general like just in the past few years really had like sort of positive queer representation that involved gay men things like schitt's creek where they like mm-hmm. yes. live in this sort of like guileless world, right? Or things like pose, right? That despite all of the struggle that's part of those stories, there's like this real insistence on the part of the writers of that show to mm-hmm. feature queer and trans joy. Right? Mm-hmm. There's still way too little of it. You look at something like Love, Simon, for instance, which like I'm so happy that that movie exists in so many ways. And I'm sure that would have been like really helpful for me when I was a kid. <laughs> but also you've got like the lead who's this like straight acting, like conventionally attractive yep. white dude literally pointing at the effeminate queer black kid and saying, yeah. like, well, I'm not that gay
0: i fucking right? hate that it's part like, of that movie so yeah, much
2: it's like this yeah. respectability bullshit where it's like it's like oh it's, it, you know it gives these audiences that still harbor that kind of like yeah queer man, effeminate man, or gross mm-hmm. right this sort of like it it allows them to maintain that perspective to be like oh see yeah he's one of the good ones they don't like those kinds of faggots either you know which yeah. is like so harmful it's so harmful um that's something that I would love to see the industry get past.
1: Yeah, I, I think the the show that the spin-off show Love Victor has a few of those moments as well. And so yeah, I I I I love both properties, but yes, it's um ah, it's it's so
2: important, but so problematic. You know, Mm -hmm. part of it, it does really tie into the stuff that I was talking about before about seeing yourself through your own eyes, right? It's not about the way society sees you. It's about the way you see yourself. And if you're telling queer stories where queer people just like sort of reiterate the views of society in general at the expense of other queer people, well, that's not a queer
1: story. But then I think sometimes in the situations so the creators are, well, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking specifically about Love, Simon, but sometimes it's like, oh, well, I guess we just can't ever get it right. It's like, well, no, it's just like, we should be able to talk about it. Like it, it's okay to not get everything right. I mean, I think really,
0: I think we're also talking about more heterosexual skewing genres where like romance and rom-coms are going to be harder to really start to change that narrative. I mean, we're seeing queer, Uh, hallmark movies so maybe there's some hope for the future but i do think that horror films are like where a lot of this change can happen and realistically happen in the very near future because horror has always been the genre that's pushing the envelope and addressing women's issues gay issues trans issues like all of these things seem more palatable even though we still get assholes who are like Ugh, keep it out of my horror
2: yeah i mean it's a it's like a genre that's been like a, a it's the horror as a genre has been a real home for queer representation i think in part because like of course people who are used to like living big parts of their lives in the shadows are going to see themselves lurking mm-hmm. in like the dark corners of horror movie. yep but i think it's also important to Pull those characters out of the subtext, you know, and to let some address something else in the subtext, yeah,
0: yeah we've had a hundred years of subtext i'm I'm happy for some actual fucking text at this point <laughs> <laughs> So Phil, what is next on the docket for you? Are you allowed to tell us what your next project is?
2: um yeah, Lee and I are both working on uh, we're working on original stuff right now. We don't have anything that's uh set up. Yeah, so like mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Maybe maybe we'll do something else on Fear Street. Maybe we'll do something else in a different studio project, and <laughs> maybe it'll be something else altogether. But we're but we're still working. All of <laughs> <you laughs> the
0: Fingers in many different pies. Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Look, anybody listening that's got a project out there, they think we're good for you. Know what I mean? <laughs> <I> mean, <it's... laughs>
0: nice. So, Phil, if people wanted to talk more about Fear Straight with you, if they wanted to talk more about their theories, their readings, why they valued these characters so much, how might they get a hold of you?
2: They might not.
0: <laughs> oh, are you not on socials?
2: Um, I don't have any public social media. No. What?
0: <laughs> no, I hate it when writers don't have a way to get hold
2: of them. I'm all right. You know, also, though, like, part of my hesitance with this podcast in general, too, is that I find that, like, whenever I listen to anyone who made something that I love mm-hmm. talk about it, yep, I'm always like, oh, well, that fucking idiot has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> they don't know what they've done at all. It's not that I don't want to talk to
1: people about it. I just...
2: no i mean
1: it's like it's like you know don't let your heroes and things like that you know like i get it it's like because people build an idea of what they think you're going to be like and no matter what whether it's a good or bad difference like it's always the reality is always going to be different from whatever the fantasy is in people's heads
2: yeah i'm like one of those people who just like doesn't like the idea that anyone is listening to me or (laughs) looking at me (laughs) frankly
0: (laughs) i'm not gonna lie that is an inherently queer thing to say (laughs)
2: well just leave me in the subtext
1: (laughs) (laughs) well okay that's that don't contact him Uh, well Phil thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come and talk to us um this has been a real treat to like get to kind of pick your brain apart
2: oh uh, thanks this has been great thanks for having me again
1: all right everyone well again please make sure you go listen to our clip on the fear street trilogy and if you are a patron of course listen to the full episode but um I guess joe on that note we can cross out this interview <laughs> <laughs> indeed yes and cross out horror queers <laughs>